Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to your favorite RBA podcast and mine, This Week in Fakeball, the only regularly scheduled podcast in the RBA. Today is May the 16th, 2022, and this is episode 30, big 3-0 of This Week in Fakeball. We've been going since February of 2020, and we're still going. I am your host, Jeff Hobbs, manager, GM, etc. of the Arizona Greenbacks, and uh, this podcast is your reprieve from the onslaught of emails and whatnot that you get from our commissioner, J.R. Richardson, otherwise known as the human gutter ball. Um, maybe I should come up with a baseball analogy. The, uh, he's the golden sombrero, you could say. I believe that's four strikeouts in a game for a hitter. I don't know. Human gutter ball, though, to me, um, seems a little bit more colorfully descriptive. But anyway, hey, why don't we, why don't, you know, why don't we all come up with our own names? Maybe I should start taking submissions for what we should call JR from now on and let the uh, popular will of the, the will of the people decide it. I think that could be a fun exercise for all of us. We could make it our mission um, in life. Anyway, uh, moving on from the human gutter ball that is JR Richardson. Uh, this podcast is going to, or this uh, episode of the podcast, is going to talk a little bit about the uh, the ongoing RBA season 2022. We're about a month in, and uh, well, not a whole lot to say so far because it is very very early on. The, your Greenbacks are 29 and 25, exactly one third of the way through the season, but not all of the games from this uh, week are in yet. So maybe I will hold off for another month before I talk more about that. Um, Team's not even really rounding into form just yet. It's uh, it's still very early, and uh, as we know in the RBA, anything can happen. So I think I'll just leave it at that for now. We'll get more into the 2022 season next month, um, probably three four weeks from now. I'll try to uh, to record the June podcast. So we're a little late this time. Maybe it is mid May, um, but uh, this is uh, this is kind of a <laughs> flying by the seat of my pants episode because a lot has uh, a lot has been going on the semester is over and I'm in the middle of a draft in another league and uh, all kinds of stuff and what we really need to do I think is spend a lot of time talking about the 2014 RBA season so this was a weird one this was the weirdest RBA season in history I'll talk about the transition that occurred not going into the season but during the season sort of um, from JR's old uh, program to APBA baseball, the program that we use to this day. So I'll get to I'll get to that later. But the transition really is the story of the 2014 season. Anybody who was around back in those days, I'm sure, remembers it vividly. Now, 2014, despite all of that weirdness that was going on, um, was stable in one way. We had the exact same teams held over from 2013 and the exact same coaches, uh, managers, managing those teams. So, so that all stayed the same, at least. There would be some more changes after 2014, but from 2013 to 2014, the teams and the managers all stayed the same. All right, so we enter into the 2014 season. Um Interesting draft. I'll just mention the top three picks were all big names. You had Chris Davis, uh, Jose Fernandez, and Yasiel Puig going one, two, three, respectively, 
in that 2014 draft. Uh, boy, some interesting ends to those careers, right? Davis hit the Dickens out of the ball for several years and then all of a sudden couldn't hit at all. Like really uh, spectacularly failed to failed to get on base there for, for a while. Um, uh, Jose Fernandez, of course, came to a premature demise in the 2016, I believe it was, season, or 2017, 2017, I think it was, uh, season. No, it was 2016. Anyway, and Yasiel Puig, who was extremely hyped, maybe the most hyped of all, probably the most hyped of all of those prospects, uh, hit for a few years and then faded quickly. So anyway, so this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. And let me just begin uh, by talking about my adjusted scores at the start of the season. So post-draft, you know, kind of opening day scores. And then we'll have to talk about some other stuff. Now, I want to give a little caveat here at the top. The spreadsheets from this season are weird. And I probably haven't given them the proper amount of time. I did it. I did adjust them based on roster moves and trades and things that happened a little bit. But um, I'm not 100% confident in these scores. I'm as, I'm as uh, well, I, I'm the least confident in this set of scores uh, of any of them. But here goes. Here's what I have at the beginning of the 2014 season. And these scores are based on JR's old program. Okay? So these are based on... Uh, on the program that we used up through 2013 and in a way into the 2014 season. I'll get to that later. This is, again, these scores are based on JR's old program. Larkin division top to bottom. Here goes. Uh, atop the division with a score of 118, so borderline great, the Elm Grove Cardinals. With a score of 90, uh, your Arizona Greenbacks. There was a podcast that JR and, and uh, Cooper and Chad and I did, where we talked about our predictions for this season. And it was pretty loose. I know I'm not sure that we all gave numbers or, you know, took under over bets or anything like that. But I remember uh, Chad being especially bearish on Arizona. Probably, probably not surprising uh, for anybody who knows Chad and our little rivalry over the years. But anyway, Arizona with a 90. So above average, uh, not great, but Pretty good, I guess you could say. Atlanta in a virtual tie with Arizona at an 86. Las Vegas not far behind with a 78. That's pretty much the definition of a league average team. And Dunedin with a 41. Uh, that is borderline terrible. I sort of draw those arbitrary borders at 120 for great and 40 for terrible. All right. The Pucket Division. Get this. Leading the way with a 144. That's super great territory easily. The four Duquesne Corsairs, 144, by far the best team in the league. In second place in the pucket with a score of 95, good team for sure. The Silver City Vultures with a score of 69. The SoCal Templar Knights with a 43. Jeff Florian's State College Cows, this would be their last season in the league. And with a score of 34, I believe also their last season in the league, I think, the Pittsburgh Piranhas. 34, that's the lowest score in the league, the Pittsburgh Piranhas. Okay, so now I get to talk about the transition of the league from APBA baseball to, um, or sorry, from JR's old program to APBA baseball. So JR uh, starts playing the season. He had gone through some changes in his life, as you do. This would have been... Um, 
boy, I, I believe the 2014 draft, I think this was, I think these were still the days of, um, of us holding the draft around Thanksgiving. So this would have been actually toward the end of 2013. But JR had just gotten married. His wife was probably pregnant by then or just about. Um, anyway, and so anyway, some, some changes happening there. And the 2014 season got off to a very slow start. Uh, JR fell, you know, he fell a week behind and then all of a sudden he's three weeks behind and then all of a sudden he's two months behind. And he sends, he sends out an email. We discussed it um, privately, like what, what to do. He ends up sending out an email and says the league cannot continue in its current form with me playing all the games. Uh, I just don't have that kind of time, or at least I won't. And, um, and can we find an alternative? And the first thing that popped into his mind and mine, of course, was APBA baseball, because if you, if you need to, if you really get into a pinch, you can sim those games in, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever. I mean, you, you can, you can sim a, an entire series, uh, you know, like a five game series for all the teams in whatever, in 10 seconds or something. So, you know, if you had to, so that gives us a lot of flexibility, um, makes the league a lot more sustainable. We decide to do that with JR simming all of the games for all of the teams. So we were not yet into the phase. We would enter it the following season where we, uh, some of us started playing our games, our home games. Uh, so JR sims all of the games. As I recall, he did it pretty quickly because he'd fallen very far behind. So he didn't have that much time left in the year 2014. He sims all the games and we make a big decision to go from 81 games per team to 162. We decide to play a full major league season's worth of games in the RBA. And this uh, is why a big, the main part of the reason, I guess, why I now think of 2014 and beyond as the modern era of the RBA. Again, going from 81 games per team to 162. Um, and of course, the, switch, the, the shift over to APBA baseball also being a big one. And of course, that's what allowed us to be able to play that many games. Okay. So JR decides to do this, and I know that my team might be in some trouble because I knew JR's um, I knew JR's program better than anybody, and that's no slight to the other coaches who've been in the league for a while. But I'd had so many conversations with JR over the year that I knew I knew the intricacies of of his program, and I tailored my drafting to that. And sometimes it made a difference, you know. Usually didn't make a big difference, but it would make a small difference in a lot of ways. And sometimes those small differences added up. So, so when we, uh, when, when I translated the scores from JR's old program to this new program, APBA baseball, a lot of the teams changed scores a lot. And so I'm going to actually give you the new beginning scores. And by beginning, I mean, uh, starting the season over again, using APBA baseball, I should mention that even though JR played something like 30 games on the old season, he decided to scrap everything and start over. So we actually aborted those first, however many it was, about 30 games, I think. Uh, we aborted those and we started right back over in week one or whatever you want to call it. Um, played the whole season uh, from scratch. And here were the scores based on APBA baseball. Elm Grove fell all the way from a 118 to a 94, but that was still the best score in the Larkin division. A 94, obviously still a good score, but you'll, you'll notice some compression here. I mean, the teams got a lot closer together. So Elm Grove is a 94. Atlanta 
falls, uh, actually Atlanta, well, <laughs> they go from an 86 to an 85, so they stay the same. Las Vegas falls from a 78 to a 63. Arizona falls from, get this, a 90 to a 53. We go from above average to pretty bad, not what you would call terrible, but certainly bad. Dunedin actually rises from a 41 to a 51, so that is the Larkin division. Over in the pocket, Fort Duquesne falls from a mighty 144 to a still very, very strong 128. How about Silver City? They go from a 95 to a 124. That's got to be the biggest increase, I mean, easily, in the league. Uh, SoCal from a 69 to a 73. State College, 43 to 65. Still not a good team, but a lot better than they were. And Pittsburgh, actually, look at this. Pittsburgh has the biggest increase by one point. They go from 34 to 64. So 30-point increase for Pittsburgh versus 29 for Silver City. The pocket division that looks like got a good bit better uh, in the transition. The Larkin division gets worse. The pocket division definitely, definitely the stronger of the two divisions this season. And I guess it would probably be the last time for a while, I think. Anyway, so JR begins to play the season. And uh, I don't have a lot from this to talk about. Uh, I can I can kind of, I can go to the spreadsheet scores at the trading deadline. There were some trades, not a lot. There was not a lot of trading this season. I think because everybody was getting used to the transition. And so there was more uncertainty. I think teams maybe felt less comfortable trading. Not sure exactly what it was, but you'll see these scores not change a whole lot, but there are some exceptions to, to that. And, and here goes. One of those exceptions right off the bat and surprising nobody, I'm sure, Elm Grove. Elm Grove finishes with a Larkin division leading score of 125. They improved themselves by 31 points from the beginning of the season to the uh, end of the season, right, post-trading deadline, a 125. That's a that's a borderline great team, and I would say on the great side of that borderline. Atlanta goes from an 85 to an 83. They didn't really do anything. Uh, Dunedin actually stays at a 51. Las Vegas sells off in a big way. They go from a 63 to a 36, and so does Arizona. Arizona goes from a 53 all the way to a 30. That is uh, terrible. Okay, in the Puckett division, Fort Duquesne rises from a 128 to a 134, so a little bit. Silver City from a 124 to a 129, similar increase. SoCal from a 73 to an 80, another similar increase. Uh, here's another one. Uh, State College, now that I look at it, from a 65 to a 71, all of those teams improving between six and eight points, I think, uh, five and seven points, rather. And Pittsburgh goes from a 64 to a 62. So, uh, so you'll notice, you know, a few great teams, actually, Fort Duquesne, Elm Grove, and Silver City. A couple of terrible teams by the end of the season in Las Vegas and Arizona, and a lot of teams sort of in the middle, right? Certainly Atlanta, Stockholm, uh, sorry, Atlanta, Stockholm, wow. Atlanta, SoCal, Silver uh, State College. Okay, so the 2014 season ends, and here are the standings. All right, so... Elm Grove, and, and notice I was talking about compression, and you do see it here with, uh, with one really notable exception. We'll start in the Larkin Division, as usual, and winning the Larkin Division with 89 uh, wins, in a record of 89 and 73. The Elm Grove Cardinals, 
So 89 wins enough to take the division and finishing in second place with a record of 87 and 75, just two games behind Elm Grove, the Atlanta Avalanche. Finishing in third place at 82 and 80, the Nadine Clear Blues. In fourth place with a record of 74 and 88. Notice no great teams, no terrible teams. 74 and 88, the Las Vegas effect. And uh, bringing up the rear, your Arizona Greenbacks with a record of 64 and 98. That would turn out to be the worst record in the league. 64 and 98 is pretty bad. Uh, but it's nothing compared to some of the worst teams we've seen since and uh, quite a few of them before. The Pucket Division. Here's the one exception. Fort Duquesne finishes with a record of 103 and 59. Best record in the league by 14 games. And that's the entire league, not just their division. 14 games over Elm Grove, 103 wins uh, and 59 losses. In second place, the Silver City Vultures go just, just 85 and 77. Uh, they finish 18 games behind Fort Duquesne, but they do get a wild card spot. SoCal goes 80 and 82. In fourth place, uh, State College, 74 and 88. And in last place in the pocket, Pittsburgh, finishing 72 and 90. All right, so that's how that went. Um, other notable things here, uh, Miguel Cabrera led the league with a 335 average. Uh, he also led the league in slugging percentage, on base percentage, uh, runs created, and a lot of categories, I guess, uh, at least those ones. Um, just, I'm actually just kind of, uh, scrolling down through this. Chris Davis hit 51 home runs for Silver City in 2014. Chris Davis, 51 home runs. Miguel Cabrera, his teammate, hit 45. And their other teammate, Troy Tulowitzki, hit 37. He finished fourth in the league. Edwin Encarnacion of Arizona hit 39. In terms of, um, uh, pitching, Clayton Kershaw goes 28 and 2. 28 and 2. He wins the Pedro Martinez Award. He leads the league in ERA at 1.73. Uh, he leads the league in innings pitched. He leads the league in complete games and shutouts and all kinds of and strikeouts. <laughs> anyway, uh, the MVP uh, goes to Miguel, Miguel Cabrera, as I mentioned. He led a lot of categories. That was his first MVP award. Clayton Kershaw actually got his second Pedro Martinez Award in this season. Uh, how about Manager of the Year? Get this. It was a tie between Chad Kanick and the Baker-Parker combination. This was the third year in a row that Chris Baker and Bob Parker tied for manager of the year. One other time they tied Chad Kanick. Three straight years in which Baker-Parker tie for manager of the year. And the rookie of the year was Julio Tehran of the Needham. So we go into the playoffs. Silver City. Defeats Dunedin four games to two. Elm Grove, in a grueling seven-game series, does uh, take down the Atlanta Avalanche. We go to the World Series. Elm Grove and Silver City, who had met up in the World Series exactly 10 years earlier, and Silver City had prevented Chad from three-peating as league champion. Well, this game, uh, this series also goes all seven games, and Elm Grove wins it. So the Cardinal Killers also known then as the Silver City Vultures, do not kill the Cardinals this time. They're unable to vanquish the uh, Larkin Division leaders. Elm Grove wins, I believe, their 
cool. Let me think here. Their fifth RBA championship. Yeah, they'd won in 2002, 2003, 2006, and 2010. So this was their fifth RBA championship in 14 seasons. And now let me go to the replays. So I ran 20 replays, and here they are. Going from top to bottom, division by division, leading the Larkin with an average of 90.3 wins, 90.3, the Elm Grove Cardinals, not surprisingly. They make the playoffs 15 and a half times, although now that I look at it, I think I need to update this. Make that 16 and a half times. And I'm just going to go ahead and uh, I'm assuming these numbers are right. Like I said, I'm, I've been in quite a hurry uh, this time. But anyway, 16 and a half times, I believe that is correct for Elm Grove and right on the fly. I'm going to check that. Yes, it appears to be correct. Okay, 16 and a half playoff appearances out of 20 for Elm Grove, 90.3 average wins. Finishing in second place in the division, not surprisingly, the Atlanta Avalanche, 86.2 wins on average, 12, 12 uh, playoff appearances. In third place in the Larkin, Dunedin, 74.0 average wins and no playoff appearances. In fourth place, Las Vegas, 72.0, no playoff appearances. And in last year, Arizona Greenbacks, 69.5 wins, no playoff appearances. Over to the pocket for Duquesne. Could they defeat Elm Grove's, or could they better Elm Grove's mark of 90.3 average wins? Silver City, uh, sorry, uh, what am I saying? For Duquesne, finishes with 93.0. So they do, uh, by 2.7 wins on average, defeat the Elm Grove Cardinals, and they are the champions, therefore, of the 2014 replays. They make the playoffs 18 and a half out of 20 times, and 93 again. All right, Silver City comes in second with 90.9, so they also finish a little bit better than Elm Grove. They make the playoffs 17 and a half times, again, 90.9 for Silver City. SoCal goes uh, an average of 82.2 of wins for a pre-play. They make the playoffs eight times. Pittsburgh, 80.7. Six and a half playoff appearances, not too bad. Again, this is the definition of an average team, right? 80.7 average wins. And State College in last place, could they do worse than Arizona's 69.5? Well, State College finishes with 71.2. And get this. They make the playoffs once somehow. 71.2 average wins. They do make the playoffs once. State College finishes last in the pocket. Arizona is the ass of the 2014 uh, replays. And let me just take a look here. It looks to me like the best of all of these replays was probably, I think, uh, Fort Duquesne had a 105 and 56 season. Looks like they had a rainout. And the worst of all pre-plays, I don't see any that are, oh, Arizona had one replay in which they went 57 and 105. That is the worst I see here just scanning it. 57 and 105 is, uh, is pretty bad. Um, State College did lose 103 in one of them. Anyway, so there you go. Those are the replay results for the year, the RBA season 2014. A lot to cover this time. I hope I did a passable job. I, uh, whew, I've had a lot going on lately. But anyway, I think that'll do it for now, and that'll do it for this episode of This Week in Fakeball. We will soon enough uh, be talking more about the 2022 season, again, probably three, four weeks from now. And I think that's about it for, for this one. So I will, uh, I will talk to you all next time, and I'll see you then.